Um, we, the, the passage that we will be focused on today is Ephesians 1, 1 through 10, um, which I will read for us now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, good morning to all. All right. These are indeed strange times, and uh, we have to be able to adapt to the types of worship, the way we gather or not. And we're still what I call distantly united. So today we're starting our uh, theme series of sermons that will take us through the rest of the year and actually into next year in the book of Ephesians. So before we get into the actual meat of the sermon, uh, we're going to do some introductory stuff on the book of the, the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. And here's a question that uh, if you read your Bible, you would have noticed it. That did you ever notice that in the letters that are written in the Bible, the person who writes the letter, their name is actually, they introduce themselves at the beginning of the letter. They, they you know, Paul would normally starts an epistle like this, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to whatever church. Well, when we compare that to how, well, what is now an archaic way of communicating, you know, for those of us who remember when we actually hand wrote letters and actually put it into the, in an envelope and address the person who the letter is being sent to, you know, dear so-and-so, dear, dear Patrick, dear, you know, um, Everett. And then at the end of the letter, you would close it 
with a complimentary close, you know, sincerely, love, so-and-so, and then the person who is writing the letter would put his name at the end. But in biblical times, it was a common practice to actually begin the letter, not end it, but begin it with um, the declaration of who is actually sending the letter. And there is a practical reason for this. See, letters were written on parchments which were rolled up into scrolls and then sealed for transportation or for delivery. When it was delivered, the person would open it and they would use both hands. One hand unrolling and the other hand rolling up. And the space between would be taken up by the portion of the, the parchment that is actually being read. So if the person who was writing the letter, if they signed their name at the bottom of the letter, you would have to unroll and unroll and unroll and wait until you reach all the way to the end before you found out who the letter was from. So that's why it became a practice to actually um, identify yourself as the writer of the letter right from the start. So as soon as they unrolled, they could see exactly who the letter is from. So the Apostle Paul, you know, he starts out, Paul, an apostle. And for a brief time where Paul was concerned, um, at the end of his second missionary journey, and then for more than two years on his third missionary journey, Paul actually ministered to the church at Ephesus. And this is found in Acts chapter 18 and 19. During his time in the city that housed the famous temple of the Greek goddess Artemis, and Artemis was a, was a, a goddess of, um, of, of hunt, of uh, not necessarily war, but of, but of hunting. Um, and also, she was also looked upon as a goddess of uh, fertility. Well, there was a, a story of a, a, of a blacksmith named, uh, or a silversmith named Demetrius, who made implements for the worship of Artemis. And his business actually suffered because of the many people who converted to Christianity and were no longer worshiping this, uh, this Greek god. <laughs> and it almost ended up in a city riot. And Paul actually left during this upheaval. Um, but before he had done that, before he left, he spoke to the church, tried to stabilize the Christian community there. So he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church sometime around um, about AD 60 or 61. It was around the same time that he wrote the letters to the church in the, the Colossians church and, and to his personal letter to, to Philemon. And he had he had sent all these letters personally by hand um, by a person called 
Titicus, and he was accompanied by Onesimus. And these are recorded in the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. It was during this time that Paul was in Rome. He was actually imprisoned, uh, making the letter to the Ephesian church one of four epistles commonly known as the prison epistles. The others are the letters to the uh, Philippian church, Colossians, and his personal letter to Philemon. Whereas the book of Corinthians and Galatians abound with personal touches from Paul, the book to the Ephesian church, the letter to the Ephesian church, on the other hand, was a more, almost a, a, a formal letter. And Paul did not really write to counteract a particular problem within the, you know, the church at Ephesus, although a couple of problems similar to what happened in Galatia, you know, um, arose with the Judaizers, Judaizers but um, Paul wrote a very, very formal letter. He deals with topics um, about faith and practice. His letter could be divided into two clear segments. Applying the truth of the first makes possible the actions and lifestyle required in the second. Paul spends the first three chapters of this letter discussing God's creation of a holy community by his gift of grace in the death and resurrection of our Lord. The members of this holy community have been chosen by God through the work of Christ, adopted as sons and daughters of God, and brought near to the Father through faith in his Son. All people with this faith, Jews and Gentiles alike, were dead in their trespasses and sin, but have been made alive because of the person and work of Christ. Paul made his purpose clear. He expected this community of faith. He expected that we would walk in accordance with our heavenly calling. As a result of the theological realities, Christians accept by faith in God, several practices should follow in their relationship within the church, within their home, within their community. The theme that Paul carries out throughout the book is simply put. Christians get along with each other. <laughs> Maintain the unity of the body. And maintain the holiness of that body. These themes must be seen within the scope and backdrop of the fact that the church was originally totally Gentile in its makeup until some Judaizers came in and began corrupting the gospel. You see, the city of Ephesus was an ancient port and the ruins of the city is still very well preserved in what is now modern day Turkey. So if you can think of you know, Turkey just bordering along with, with Greece and the Mediterranean right there 
very easy for you know transport from you know you know to, for for travels to be done from Jerusalem to that area so it was a like it was a it was a hotbed for early christian evangelism so the book of ephesians hits on a wide range of moral and ethical behaviors designed to ensure believers are living up to their heavenly calling as we continue in our faith from day to day, month to month, and year to year, the temptation to get comfortable will always exist. However, Paul presented the gifts of God in Christ and the benefits we receive so clearly that we cannot help but ask ourselves if our lives reflect the reality as they should. Maturity yields benefits in believers' moral lives but it extends far beyond that as well. Increased maturity benefits the community at large, not just the person, but the community at large, leading us as Christians to present a more consistent witness to the working of God in our lives, as well as protecting us from the harmful divisions and quarrels that have plagued so many communities throughout the history. So let's look very more intently on verses 4, 5, and 6. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence, in love. He predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the beloved one. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That blows my mind, and it should blow your mind also. And he chose us to be holy and blameless in his presence. Now understand this, the only way that we can ever be holy and blameless in his presence is to be draped and veiled in the robe of Christ. Because a holy God will not tolerate sin in his presence. So we're not worthy to abide in his presence. The Bible tells us that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is no one righteous, not one. <coughs> the, the, the Apostle John puts it this way. If we say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves. The, 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 the actual you know, um, translation is we deceive ourselves. So we have to confess that we are sinners. Even those of us who have been in church for, you know, umpteen years, we are simply sinners saved by His grace. Amen. So He chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, if we were to put a thought in, 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 in history... 
where the foundation of the world was. Where, in other words, from the creation of the world. God had his plan of salvation even before then. Even before then. And chose you and I to be in his kingdom. Which means, that, that, that tells me, I mean, that, that puts a lot of, 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 of really good thoughts in my mind. As bad as I can think of myself when I look before and find myself in front of a holy God and I say, I, woe is me, like, like, like the prophet, woe is me for I am undone. Woe is me for I am a sinful man. Woe is me for I am filled, filled of, you know, of, 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 of filth and sin. And God saw that and God still, before the foundation of the earth, called and chose. And then verse 5 tells us, He predestined us as sons and daughters. This was important for the Ephesian church to hear. It is important for us to hear. Remember, they were all Gentiles. Until, of course, the Judaizers came and told them that they had to do this or they had to do that to be saved. Sounds familiar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of very similar to the theme that was carried through when Paul wrote um, to the church in Galatia. But Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that they were in his redemptive plan from the beginning. You were in God's redemptive plan from the beginning. This was a follow-up on what he wrote in verse 5. In verse 4, sorry. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, it says in verse 4. And then verse 5 says he predestined us as sons and daughters. The Jewish people began with Abraham. You were chosen by God before Abraham, before the foundation of the world. Paul was telling the Ephesian church that you are not an afterthought of God. And we can bring that to us right now. That we can look at ourselves and we can say to each other, we can say to a brother, you can say to a sister, you were not an afterthought of God. God didn't just say, oh, I'm, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put salvation to the Jews and then say, oh, wait a minute, I got to wait. Let me, let, me, let, me put, let me put some thought into this. Let me, oh, you know what? I should also save the Gentiles. No, we are not an afterthought. We were called by God before the foundation and selected by God before the foundation of the earth. Amen. Under the Mosaic law, they would have been outside of the camp, left out in the cold, excluded from the kingdom. We would have been left out into the cold. We would have been excluded from the kingdom. But the Mosaic law was not the be-all and end-all of the plan. Understand this. God did not make a mistake. Amen. God did not make a mistake that the Judaizers now had to fix. Well, you know, 
You can, be, you can get eternal life, and you can do it through Christ, but you got to do something else. Very similar to the message that he was saying to the uh, Galatian church. That God did not make a mistake that now some people had to step in and fix. The Ephesians needed to hear that. We need to hear that. Out of his pure love, he lavished with pleasure his free grace upon us to the end that we have received eternal salvation with all of its blessings and spiritual benefits. Friends, God did not make a mistake. Some years ago, I had an interesting um, experience. You see, I have a, an annuity with John Hancock. And at the time, I used to put put $1,000 in just every other couple months. I'd put $1,000 in to my annuity. And every time there's an action that takes place with your account, they will send you a statement of action and tell you that, you know, tell me that, you know, a thousand dollars was, you know, um, credited to my account. So I put a thousand dollars into my account and I, you know, I got the statement in the mail, you know, statement of action saying that, What? One hundred thousand was accredited to my account. <laughs> I started thinking, was, was I a recipient of, you know, a, a person's will? Someone die and leave me a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars? Did someone die and I was a beneficiary of their insurance, life insurance policy, and I didn't know? One thing I was 99.9% certain of, I know I did not get this bonus from the church. <laughs> so I... I, I so I, I, I called up John Hancock and, and told them of the activity that took place. And they said, um, you know, we will, thank you, we will get back to you. They called me back and informed me that it was an internal error. Someone had, by mistake, um, added two zeros uh, to the number. So instead of 1000 it was $100,000 that was credited to my account. Less than two hours after that conversation, that $100,000 was gone. Disappeared. Poof. Just like that. Now, now it was a disappointment, obviously. And, and one moment, it was there, $100,000. The next moment, it was gone. <clears throat> and to be honest, I, I started thinking, right as I saw it, I started thinking of 
of all the blessings I could, you know, um, you know receive on myself and, and even share with my loved ones, of course, I would save a little bit to, you know, to still put into my annuity. But I, I started thinking and then it was gone. Because someone had made a mistake. Believe me, friends, God is not going to disappoint you like that. He did not make a mistake in choosing you. You will not wake up one morning and discover that all the spiritual blessings that were available to you have just disappeared into thin air. God does not make mistakes. Amen. God, in his wisdom, in his knowledge, in his love, predestined us as sons and daughters through Christ. Just trust him on this. He knows. He knows what he's doing. I mean, he is the creator of the universe. He knows what he's doing. Then he did this, the word of God tells us, through Jesus Christ. I love this. He did this through Jesus Christ. Understand that there is no other way to be a son or daughter of God but through Christ. Can't be done through Buddha. Can't be done through Muhammad. Can't be done through the myriads of, of the gods of Hinduism can't be done through human effort or any form of self-flagellation. It just cannot be done without Christ. Now, if you disagree with that, don't, don't waste my time, folks. Don't, don't argue with me. I'm just going to simply send you to the, to the source of that thought. <laughs> don't argue with me. Because that's not my, I didn't come up with that, you know, I would love to take credit for that thought. I would love to take credit as the originator of that thought. I didn't come up with it, so don't argue with me. If you disagree with me, go argue with the source. Because the source is Christ himself. <laughs> In John chapter, 60, uh, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Amen. No one comes to the Father. No one. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your name is. I don't care your prominence in society. When it says no one, it means nobody. No one comes to the Father except through me, Christ said. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way for going, the truth for knowing, and the life for growing. Amen. No one comes to the Father except through him. That settles that. Then he says, he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. I 
Again, that blows my mind. Because it actually pleases God to choose us. That's what the word of God says. He did it according to the good pleasure of his will. It actually pleases God to choose us. He have not, we have not been chosen with resentment. We were not chosen with vexation. We were not chosen with bitterness or disappointment. Now I remember in, in, in high school, I was a decent athlete, wouldn't say exceptional, I would say above average athlete. And after school on, you know, in high school, after school, we'd play some pickup games. We'd play cricket, yeah, that's a British game. We'd play cricket, we'd play some, the real football, <laughs> where you actually use your feet. Not the football here that you use your hands, sorry to say that. But, uh, you know, you call it, you know, here we call it soccer, but, you know, Jamaica, we call it football. Or we play some other, you know, other games. And, and, and as usual, you know, in pickup games, you, you, you pick teams. Someone will, will either anoint themselves as captain or they'll be, hey, why don't you be captain? Uh, so sometimes I would be, I would either anoint myself as captain, sorry to say, or I'll be asked to be captain. So we'd pick from, you know, the group of people over there and the two captains. And we'd go, you know, alternately. And there came a time when I started picking players and it was not pleasurable. <laughs> I was not pleased to pick these players. Because they were not good players. Whatever sport it was, they, they were way below average. They wanted to play, but they were not good players. So I picked players with disappointment. Sometimes with envy because they last person who was picked by the other captain was the last good player. And I'm saying, oh, you know, man, couldn't you have picked somebody? You have the better team. Couldn't you have picked somebody else? I wanted that guy. And it was resentment. And so I, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. You know, I, and you try to fake it. Yeah, give me Robert. Yeah, you know, come, come Robert. And you fake it because you're, you're smiling and you are so angry on the inside because you really don't want Robert on your team because you can't catch, you can't throw, or you can't bat. Whatever the game is, he's no good. That wasn't God. That was not God. For when God chose you, he did it willingly. Amen. When God chose you, he did it according to scripture. He did it with pleasure. The scripture declares that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He did it willingly. Amen. And finally, he did it to the praise 
of his glorious grace. And because he chose us with pleasure, we should praise his glorious grace. Understand that there is nothing that we can do to please God of our own accord. So we should praise God for his glorious grace. Do I hear somebody singing amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Listen, folks, when we sing that song, we really should listen to the words and, and take it in. Amazing grace. Why? Because it is amazing. And God did this work of salvation in us to the praise of his glorious, glorious grace, which he freely has given to us in Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase, nothing in life is free? <laughs> well, they probably didn't hear about the gospel. Because <laughs> grace is free. And it didn't cost us anything. However, we have to understand that it cost the Son of God. It cost him everything. It cost him mental agony. It cost him physical pain. It cost him abandonment. It cost him spiritual alienation. It cost him mental agony. Because when Jesus was looking before him, what he had to do in the garden as he prayed, he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he was in such mental agony that his sweat became drops of blood. Now that's mental agony. Now that's suffering. Now that's psychological. I mean, that is, that, is, that is beyond my understanding. The level of pain that he was enduring at that time. Mental agony. It cost him physical pain. For the scripture says that when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him. It cost him abandonment. Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt alone? In a time when you were going through an issue, you were going through a situation that you needed, you needed your buddy, you needed your friend, you needed your, you know, someone to, 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 to a shoulder to lean on, you needed ears to, to hear, you just needed to speak, and you just needed someone to listen, you didn't need advice, you just wanted to unburden, just to unload your troubles. And no one was there. That's abandonment. 
that's to be abandoned. And the word of God tells us at the time just before Jesus was crucified, during the time of his trial, during the time of his arrest, we know of Peter. We know of the denial of Peter. And we say, oh, Peter denied Christ three times. And the cock crew. And we know, we, we know of that story and we say, oh, Peter denied Christ. But Peter was not the only one. The word of God tells us that you know, they all forsook him and fled. <laughs> they all forsook him and fled. At least Peter kind of stood afar off, still within seeing distance. Where the others went, who knows? They all forsook him and fled. It cost Christ spiritual alienation. Imagine someone that you love, love dearly, and in a time of need, in a time of need, you, you pick up the phone, and they don't answer. And you call again, and you know, you know when you when you block a number, you know, it, it, sometimes it, it only rings once, and then you know nothing. When 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 a number is blocked, and you're trying to you know, and 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 you're trying to ring that number, if they block you, it only rings once, and then nothing. Some phone services have it like that, so. You're calling that friend and you hear the phone ring one time. It doesn't even, it doesn't even go to voicemail. It just rings once and then nothing. Oh, but you want to leave a voicemail because you really want to talk to that person because you, you, know, you, you, you have this issue that it, it, it's, it's a burden upon your heart and, and, and you can't think of any other person. This is the only person that you can share this with. And, and, and so you pick up the phone again and you call and it rings one time and then nothing. And you found out later that the person had blocked your number. You can't live that down. There's, there's, there's no way to explain that away. As Christ was on the cross, bearing your sins and mine, he became sin for us. So
so that for a moment of time, there was alienation between father and son. Because God is a holy God who could not deal, who could not handle the presence of sin. And so the rejection of the son was there. And, and Jesus on the cross cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which was a rhetorical question because Jesus knew the reason. He knew why. But in a, in a state of agony, he just said, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It cost him spiritual alienation. The grace that we have received is free, but it is costly grace. It costs Christ dearly. Because he who had everything became nothing. So that we who had nothing and were nothing could have everything. Amen. He who had everything became nothing so that we who had nothing and who were nothing could have everything. With that in mind, let us be thankful to God for his spiritual blessings. I hope this will challenge us to be more committed, to be more thankful to God for his salvation, to be more committed to stay true. Stay true to his calling. Let us pray.